Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. All right, we're in Genesis chapter 6 as we read this morning. And uh, we're going to be basically looking at the first 12 verses this morning um, and uh, uh, dealing with Noah's, the flood of Noah. And, uh, you know, that deals with a couple chapters. So we're just going to be taking a look this morning at the first few verses dealing with uh, really the prelude to judgment. Um, the days of Noah, basically, is what we're going to be looking at this morning. And uh, if you don't have a Bible and you want to follow along, just raise your hand. We have one. We can loan one to you. Or we can, if you don't have a Bible, you can keep it. So anybody need a Bible to follow along? We're good. Okay. All right. So Genesis chapter 6. And uh, why don't I go ahead and read it again? Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them that the sons of God saw that the daughters of, saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves of all of whom they chose. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever for he is indeed flesh. Yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came in to the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. The, those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and creeping, uh, both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God and Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. I kind of, I don't normally title a message, but I did this one. It's a prelude to judgment, because Jesus deals with talking about the last days in Matthew chapter 24. His disciples, they're saying, you know, what are the signs of your return? And, and Jesus said uh, there, as you can read there in Matthew 24, verse 37, he says, But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. And so this morning, um, I wanted to basically take a look at the days of Noah and, uh, and see and, and, and not only look at what Jesus uh, shared here, but a couple other passages of scripture. And then Genesis chapter six, where the days of Noah prior to the flood are uh, described. And together, I think we can put together a composite look of what to expect prior to Christ's return. And uh, so we're going to take a look at the descriptions. So in verse 38 of Matthew chapter 24, Jesus says this, For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. And uh, we just read Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 12, um, but one of the first things that we understand about the days of Noah is that uh, it says there, and look back in Genesis chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Now when it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, 
men began to multiply in the face of the earth. In other words, there was an increase in the population of the earth. You recall when God created Adam and Eve, he had told them to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth. And, you know, he had provided the ideal conditions for it, right? I mean, you you think about it. Um, Adam, we know he lived 932 years. Prior to the flood, they lived many, many years. And uh, uh, for them... 600 was the new 40, you know, <laughs> my granddaughter the other day, she, we were in the back there on, on Wednesday night and she goes, 60 is the new 40. And I said, where'd you come up with that? And she said, my grandpa, <laughs> her other, her other grandfather was saying that. Um, so, but for them, yeah, you know, they lived long, incredibly long lives. Methuselah, right? He lived 969 years. So there was this incredible, uh, they must've been healthy, uh, you know, you think about it, you know, of course, Adam and Eve sinned. And so from that, there was the fall, um, you know, the curse of sin on the earth. But I'm guessing, and I, of course, I, I don't know, but I'm, I'm assuming that uh, the genetic mutations and, and all those, the, you know, the, the, the results of the curse of sin, didn't all of them didn't happen immediately, but, you know, they slowly started to accumulate. And so those first generations, I assume, were probably very, very healthy. I mean, think of it, the environment was just created, you know, so there was, you know, the pollutions wasn't there. I mean, it was just, it was an ideal um, environment for... Uh, children to be born and to raise and to, and to grow healthy. Um, Henry Morris, he's the uh, one of the directors at the Creation Research Institute. He was doing some calculations and starting with two people, Adam and Eve, he just calculated in an, an, an annual growth rate of 2% of the population. And he said in the 1,656 years from Adam to Noah, so from Adam to the time of the flood, the population at 2% annual growth rate could have reached 10 trillion people prior to the flood. That, that's his calculations. Um, and so, you know, whether it was 10 trillion or a billion or whatever, uh, all, all we know or what we can assume anyways is that there was a large population on the earth. Well, where are we at today? Think about this. So in 1804, we, the, population, the world population reached 1 billion people, 1804. That's from the time of Noah, after they came out of the ark, you know, Noah, his wife, his, his sons and their wives, those, um, that was seven people. From that time until 1804, it took to have, to end up with 1 billion people. So that, that many years. 123 years later, so just 123 years later, the population reached 2 billion people in 1927. Only 33 years later, in 1960, the population reached 3 billion years. Uh, 3 billion years, 3 billion people, excuse me. Um, okay, 14 years. See, the time frame's getting shorter and shorter. 14 years after that, in 1974, the population topped 4 billion people. And it keeps getting shorter and shorter. In uh, 13 years, after 1974 and 1987, the population became 5 billion people. Um, 12 years later, in 1999, the population topped 6 billion years, or 6 billion people, excuse me. Um, in 2011, we reached 7 billion, year, uh, billion people. I keep saying billion years, I don't know why. Um, that's the evolutionary theory. Billions and billions of years, but anyways... Um, 
But as you can see, the, the, that, that time frame, it shrunk and shrunk. Now we're down to about 12, uh, 12 years. I don't know how, how many years it's going to be before we reach 8 billion people. But uh, needless to say, our population has definitely been multiplying. And uh, so describing the end times, Jesus said in Matthew 28, verses 30, or excuse me, Matthew 24, verses 38 and 39. He says, For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. So what is he describing? He's describing a time of prosperity and peace, right? Peace and prosperity. But it's an external peace and prosperity. Evidently, things will be going on like normal. Um, Eating, drinking, marrying, giving them, you know, just life going on normally. Um, You know, with this last election that we had, um, I don't know if you felt it, you know, for the past, I don't know, at least four or five elections. I remember people always saying, you know, this election is the most important election. It's going to determine the, the course of our country and all that stuff. And for me personally, I don't know about you, but for me personally, this last election, it hit home. This is definitely, our our country is going to go either the same way it's going or it's going to go in a different direction. We were at a crossroads, my own personal opinion. And uh, and so when uh, President Trump became the president, you know, all of a sudden, all this gloom and doom about the economy, it's like, no, the economy actually is, you know, people uh, starting to if things were starting to pick up or at least look up, um, you know, we started hearing about all these companies that were starting to bring jobs and hiring. And, and, uh, and so it really felt like, wow, there's going to be this reform in the land and things are going to start turning around. Our economy is going to start turning around. And now we've got a leader who's going to restore our standing in the, in the international community and stuff. And, and, uh, but you know, Jesus says in the last days, it's going to be a time of peace and prosperity. And so it could well be that this is just part of God's preparing for his return, right? Things are going to, it's not going to be like gloom and doom necessarily. People are going to be just living their lives like normal. You think about it in the Old Testament. There were a couple kings, King Josiah. Remember him? He was a king of Judah, and he came across the, the, you know, the temple had been in disrepair, and so he wanted the temple to be restored, and he had workmen in there, and they found the scroll of God's word, and they gave it to the king. They said, King, we found this in the, in, the, in, the, in the ruins, basically, of the temple, and he read God's word, and it just broke his heart, and, and he you know, it just completely changed his life. And so from there, he led all these reforms in the land of Judah. And uh, it looked like things were really going really well there in Judah. But, you know, it wasn't too long after that, that the people went back into sin. Because although Josiah's and probably other people around Josiah, their hearts have been changed. The, the, the general population, they basically just did what their leader did. Um, king Uzziah was another king. Uh, he was not necessarily a, uh, he, he was a godly man for most of his, his reign in Judah, but he was, uh, he, you know, he did a lot of, uh, he was kind of like, you know, what people hope Trump will be, you know, he's going to bring jobs in and, you know, it's going to repair the infrastructure. And Uzziah had a lot of projects that he did and things were looking really good in Judah, but you know what? The hearts of the people, it was all on the surface. The hearts of the people were still wicked. And so we look at, you know, our, this time of peace and prosperity, and, and, and I'm hoping and I'm praying that things really pick up for our nation. Uh, but don't be deceived. Don't put your hope in a man. 
uh, don't put your hope in a political party because this is all, you know, it, we're just, we're getting closer to that time. And I think we'll see that as we go through the rest of this scripture. I want to bring up Second Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 4. Peter writes this, he says, Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So people are going to be, and you might even hear it now today, or not here hopefully, but you know, out in our, in our culture, people scoff and mock at the second coming of Christ. And uh, people mock and they scoff about the rapture of the church. And, and, you know, I can't help but imagine it's probably like the people in the days of Noah. You know, because if you think about it, in the days of Noah, from what we believe, or at least what a lot of scientists believe, is that there wasn't any rain up until the flood. And uh, so when Noah's, you know, he's building this ark out there on dry land and, and uh, you know, they're like, what are you doing, Noah? Well, I'm building an ark because God says he's going to destroy the world with a flood. Can you imagine it's like a flood? You mean rain? What, what, what do you mean? You know, it's like it had, they had no idea, no concept of it. And so they would have mocked him undoubtedly at what he was doing. Well, today people are like, yeah, yeah, Jesus is going to come back and take all the Christians out of here. Ha, ha, ha. You know, it's the same thing. They've never experienced it. And so, but that doesn't make it true or any less true, I should say. Well, going back to Genesis chapter 6, it says, Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. This is a very interesting uh, passage of scripture here that we're at this morning. Uh, Verse three, and the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. And then verse four, there were giants on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. So again, this is a very interesting scripture. Uh, who are these sons of God and the daughters of men referred to in chapter in verse two? Well, that interesting, the word sons of God is a Hebrew word, bene Elohim. And it only occurs in the Old Testament in a few places. In Job uh, 1 verse 6, in Job 2 verse 1, and in Job 38 verse 7. And in all of those scriptures, it's the sons of God is referring to angels. It's always referring to angels. It's never referring to men. There's a similar phrase in Daniel, and it's Bar Elohim. It's in Daniel chapter 3, verse 25. And that was when, if you recall the story, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were thrown into the fiery furnace, right? And, and uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar had them thrown into the furnace, and, uh, and he's watching, and all of a sudden, he's like, hold the bus. And, he's, and he goes, didn't we just throw three men in there? And they're like, yeah, you, we did, King. And he goes, well, how come I see four? It says, look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the son of God, bar Elohim. 
Well, again, this is referring, this is a, a, all of these Bar Elohim and Beni Elohim are either referring to angelic beings or in the case here of Daniel chapter 3, verse 25, it's referring to a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. It's never referring to men. That's what I want to get across. So it appears that these sons of God in uh, verse 2 of Genesis chapter 6 are referring to angelic beings. Well, who are these angelic beings? Well, I believe that they're fallen angels. We would know them as demons. It says in verse 2, The sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all of whom they chose. Well, when you read that and you read it in like the New King James, it sounds like they got married. They had a marriage ceremony. Well, it doesn't necessarily mean that they married women. The word wives is the Hebrew word isha, and it also means women. So in other words, it's not that they necessarily got married, but they took wives or they took women. Um, What is being described here is some kind of strange uh, demonic possession that involves sex. Um, I don't want to go into much more detail than that, but uh, that's what it appears to be referring to. Now, some people will say, well, wait a minute. What about, the, what about what Jesus said in Matthew 22, verse 30? When Jesus is talking about the resurrection, he says, for in the resurrection, he's speaking about the angels of God. He says, for, the, for in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels of God in heaven. In other words, uh, people don't get married when they're in heaven, but... And just like the angels don't, the angels of God in heaven. But I want to re- point out, Jesus is talking about the angels of God, and they're in heaven. These are the angels that have not fallen. Um, they're not referring to demons, or Jesus isn't referring to demons. And the reason why I say that is because evidently Jude, in his letter, refers to something. Uh, it seems to be that he's referring to this phenomena that's described in Genesis chapter 6. In Jude 1.6, it says, And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. These angels, that uh, they, they didn't keep their proper domain. What is that referring to? Well, he uses the example of Sodom and Gomorrah in verse 7. He says, As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these. So in a, in, a, in a similar manner to these angels that he's talking about, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So in other words, Sodom and Gomorrah, in a similar manner to these angels, um, they didn't keep their proper abode. They went after strange flesh. Uh, and we know that the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah, they, they suffered God's judgment as a result of their wickedness. And in a similar manner, these angels, these, these demons, I should say, God, apparently Jude says, God has reserved an everlasting chains under the darkness for the judgment of the great day. So apparently there was these very, very wicked angels that were doing this in the time before the flood. And, uh, and God has... Uh, uh, you know, reserve them in everlasting chains. They're in chains right now. They've been, uh, they're, they're wherever they are. Um, but the question is, why, why would this happen? Why would fallen angels even do this? And the only thing I can think of is, you know, Satan was there when, you know, he tempted Eve to, 
to uh, to sin, to to take of the fruit of the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden, and and afterwards God curses the serpent, right? And during that curse, He talks about the seed of the woman would eventually crush the head of of the serpent. And all that I can think of is that Satan has this plan in his heart that he's going to pollute the human race any way he can so that seed of the woman would never be able it'd be, it'd be polluted. He wouldn't be able to crush the head of the serpent. There's an alternative theory because, you know, I'm, I'm telling you this is what evidently, this is what I believe, but there are other theories. Uh, oh, there's only one other one that I know of, although I'm sure there's other theories. But there's an alternate theory, and it says, the, goes like this, the sons of God are the righteous line of Seth. Seth was one of the descendants of Adam. And they intermarried with the daughters of men, which was referring to Cain's descendants. Now, I have three major problems with that theory. The first one is there's no scriptural support whatsoever. It doesn't talk about it anywhere else in scripture uh, of any righteous line of Seth. There's no, there's no mention of a righteous line of Seth. Uh, second thing is what I re- referred to earlier. The sons of God, Beni Elohim in the Old Testament, never referred to mankind anywhere else in the Bible. And the third one, which I think is maybe the most, uh, well, the scriptural support to me is a biggie, but this, this other one here is if, if it was in fact referring to an immoral intermarriage between Cain's descendants and Seth's descendants, then why would giants result from it? I, it just doesn't make sense. Look at verse 4. There were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who are of old, men of renown. Giants on the days, uh, giants on the earth in those days, which would be the days of Noah, right before the flood. But notice it also says, and also afterward. After what? Well, I think after the flood, because as you go through the Old Testament, there are many, many references to giants in the Bible, and they're called by different names. Now, so so this 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 phenomena that occurred prior to the flood, uh, it resulted in this race of giants. Um, and uh, the offspring of these uh, demonic, immoral relations ended up with giants, and, and uh, they're all throughout the Old Testament there. Numbers thirteen thirty one through 33 talks about the descendants of Anak, and they're also known as the Anakim. In Deuteronomy 2, verses 10 through 11, talks about the Emin. In Deuteronomy 2, verse 20, talks about the Zamzumim. In 1 Samuel 17, 4, there's a, there's a giant that we're all probably familiar with from our Sunday school days. Goliath, the Philistine from Gath, was a giant. Um, in 1 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 4 through 6, David's mighty men, his men of renown, his, his soldiers, I mean, they fight these offspring, these relatives of Goliath. Sippai is one of Goliath's sons that is killed by David's mighty men. Lami or Lami is Goliath's brother. Um, and then we get this, this next one, which is pretty interesting here. Verse 6 of First Chronicles chapter 20 says, Yet again there was war at Gath, where there was a man of great stature with 24 fingers and toes, six on each hand, six on each foot, and he also was born to the giants, referring to Goliath. So we have this, this very strange offsprings, these giants um, that are, again, I think they're descendants of this, this, this occurrence that occurred back in the days of Noah. But there's one of special mention that I want to bring up to you. And you would think, well, that Goliath is the one that everybody knows. But there's one, I think, that jumped out to me, and it's Og, king of Bashan. 
And I think it's kind of interesting. In verse uh, in Deuteronomy 3, verse 11, it talks about how they destroyed Og. It says, For only Og, king of Bashan, remained of the remnant of the giants. Listen to this. Indeed, his bedstead was an iron bedstead. Is it not in Rabbah of the people of Ammon? Ammon? Nine cubits is its length, and four cubits its width, according to the standard cubit. So what was a cubit? Well, a cubit was a measurement from your elbow to I think it was your your middle finger, and it was generally eighteen inches roughly um, and so if you if you translate that there nine cubits would have been about thirteen and a half feet long the guy 's bed, and uh, his bed would have been six feet wide. Um, you know talk about husband and wife, you were in that bed you know if you were if you weren 't a giant you know it was like it 's like hello, how are you <laughs> you know <laughs> the other side um, Why did I mention og? Uh, king of Bashan, because we're told in Deuteronomy 3, verse 13, it says, all the region of Argob with all Bashan was called the land of the giants. So evidently, Bashan, which is kind of in the area region close around where modern day Jordan is today, but that region of Bashan, evidently there was a, that area was where a lot of this demonic activity took place prior to the flood and where the offspring of this uh, phenomenon, this demonic activity lived because a lot of these giants came from that land and so they called it the land of the giants. Now, why do you bring that up? Just because I wanted to. No, I'm just kidding. Um, because there's an interesting thing. in It's a Messianic psalm, Psalm chapter 22. And uh, it's, it's attributed, obviously, to the Messiah. The, the Hebrews, the Jews, they knew it was a Messianic psalm. And uh, he talks about it in verse 6 through 8. This is Jesus. This is prophetic of Jesus on the cross. He says, But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men, and despised by the people. All those who see me, they, sh- they ridicule me. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake their heads saying, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Notice it talks about the people. And what are the people saying? The people are saying, they're saying basically, hey, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him and let him deliver him since he delights in him. If you go back to the gospels at the time of the crucifixion of Christ, do you know who the people were that were saying that? It was the Jews. It was the the Pharisees, the scribes. It was those religious leaders that delivered Jesus to the Romans to be persecuted. Well, it continues on here. Verse 16 of 22, For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Well, now there's this new, this other group of people, the dogs that had surrounded Jesus as he's on the cross. But notice what the dogs did. They pierced my hands and my feet. The Jews didn't do that. They weren't able to persecute. Or they weren't able to crucify. They had to deliver Jesus to the Romans. And so it was the, the Roman soldiers there that actually pierced his hands and his feet. They're the ones that were standing guard watching Jesus as he was being crucified. They are the ones that divided his garments and uh, cast lots for his clothing. Well, I'm going to jump back here to verse 12 of Psalm 22. Listen to this. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a roaring, raging, roaring lion. Now, when I went to the commentaries, 
all they say is these are this, all the persecutors around Jesus, all the, the you know the, the Romans and the and the Jews and everything. But you know what? The Romans were already described, and the Jews were already described. Who are these strong bulls of Bashan? Well, I think, and this again, this is my opinion, but I think in addition to people standing there tormenting Jesus is on the cross. I think the demons were all around Jesus tormenting him because Satan thought finally he thwarted God's plan for a savior. He thwarted God's plan. Uh, the seed was was dying on the cross. And, and I can just imagine how the demons were just, you know, they were so gleeful over the son of man being crucified. Well, again, it's my speculation, but in any event, all that to say, one of the preludes to God's final judgment, like in the days of Noah, is demonic activity, or at least an increase in demonic activity. I don't know if you guys heard about this. Um, this past year, there was a tunnel in Switzerland. It's called the Gotthard Base Tunnel. It had been a project that had been going on for a long way, long time, and it, it was something that the European Union, which right now the European Union is kind of in, in upheaval, but uh, back before all this step ha- happened with Britain trying to leave the European Union, you know, they were just celebrating their, uh, how they had come together, and this tunnel was such a great thing, and they had this ceremony to, to uh, open up the ceremony, or open up this tunnel. And uh, I want to read it. This is out of a Charisma magazine article, but it says the opening ceremony of the Gotthard Base Tunnel in Switzerland featured a goat man that dies, is resurrected, and is, is worshipped and crowned as the king of the world. The goat man that played such a key role in this performance bore a striking resemblance to Baphomet, which in recent decades has become one of the key symbols used to represent Satan in the occult community. So could it be possible that this entire ceremony was actually an an Illuminati ritual that was intended to honor Satan? Don't pass judgment until you see the videos. And I get the link if you want to look at it. Um, I don't want to go into more detail because it was, there's some really bad stuff that happened in this ceremony. Um, But yeah, there's an increase in demonic activity, I think, that we're starting to see around us. Going back to Genesis chapter 6, verse 3. It says, the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. Um, if you were here last week, we were talking in Genesis about, Gen- we're going through Genesis chapter 5. We were going through the meanings of, of the, the descendants of Adam, what their names meant. Methuselah's name, he's the man, he's the oldest man that lived 969 years. His name meant his death shall bring. And when Methuselah died, uh, he lived 969 years. He died the year that the flood occurred. And uh, this prophecy in verse 3 was evidently given 120 years prior to the, the flood occurring. In other words, uh, mankind at this time had only 120 years before the flood was going to occur. Um, It says, and the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever. You know, the Lord would not continue to strive. And that word strive can mean to plead. The Lord would not continue to plead with mankind indefinitely. He had sent prophets. He had sent preachers. You know, Enoch was a preacher of righteousness. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. You know, all all these godly men 
in their generations, in their culture, God was using them to draw people to, to him, and, uh, but he wouldn't continue striving forever. There was a time when judgment, uh, judgment was coming in, in the form of the flood. Now in 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 7, Paul says this, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. You know, right now, the, the believers, you and I, if you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. And the Holy Spirit is in the world today. He's in us, and he's, he's convicting the world of sin and, uh, and judgment. In other words, God is pleading with mankind to be reconciled to him through you and I. You and I, the church, we are that restraining influence. The Holy Spirit in us, it's a restraining influence for all the wickedness in in the world. We're, we're holding it back, basically. Um, but as in the days of Noah, there's coming a time when God is no longer going to stri- strive with mankind. Judgment's going to happen. And uh, Jesus is going to return for his bride, the church. You and I, were going to be raptured from here, and that restraining force of the Holy Spirit's going to be removed. And when that happens, see, that, that demonic, that increase in demonic activity, it's, it's, it's restrained right now to some extent probably to a great extent. But when you and I, the church, when we're taken out of here, the Holy Spirit's taken out of here, man, all hell literally breaks loose. And that increase of demonic activities, it's going to be, I'm, praise God, you and I are not going to be here to experience the wickedness that's going to occur during the Great Tribulation. Going back to verse 5, there's some more preludes to judgment. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evilly uh, continually. Two more preludes mentioned here to judgment. First, an increase in wickedness. And, you know, I could give you example after example, but I think if you watch the news for at any length of time or you, you get on the internet, I mean, you, you, you just read about the wickedness. There's so much wickedness going on, and it's increasing. It's not getting better. I used to work with a, with a guy who, he wasn't a believer, really nice guy, but wasn't a believer, and he kept saying, you know, we're just getting better and better and better. And, I'm, uh, you know, and we'd argue, but, uh, you know, at one point it's like you can't argue with people when they have that opinion, basically. But you look around, we're not getting better. Things are getting worse and worse and worse. In fact, I've read something just, I think it was the other day, was that Christians are being persecuted more than ever right now. Wickedness is increasing. Not only that, but the intents of the thoughts of man's heart is only evil continually. What man thinks, but not only what man thinks, what he imagines or dreams up. And right away I thought of, man, Hollywood. I thought of the music industry, the entertainment industry, the the novel, the authors writing novels. There's so much evil that's being coming out of man's thoughts, their imaginations. In verses 11 and 12, in there in Genesis chapter 6, there's also speaks about an increase in corruption, an increase in violence. And, you know, of course, um, we've been bombarded with violence with ISIS. We've watched, you know, well, we haven't watched the beheadings, but we've seen, you know, the, 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 where they're, they're beheading people and there's all this, this violence increasing. Uh, Chicago, you know, all the shootings that are going on in Chicago, but worldwide and violence has increased. And, you know, when you read that, you think, okay, physical violence, acts of violence, and that's definitely what it is referring to. But the Hebrew word for violence here not only means physical violence, 
But that word violence means cruel, uh, wrong, cruelty, and injustice. So it's not just physical violence, but there's a lot of injustice, and there's a lot of cruelty, and there's a lot of wrong that's going on, and there's going to be, and it's going to increase um, before Christ's return. In fact, in Malachi 2, verse 16, the Bible says that God hates divorce because it covers one's garments with violence, with wrong, with cruelty, with injustice. And so we've seen an increase in all these things in our culture. So are we living in the days of Noah once more? I would say absolutely. We're definitely living in the days of Noah because we can see all the signs around us. Um, But I want to leave you with an encouraging thought here this morning because it's like, well, that's really a bummer message this morning. I said, oh, man, (laughs) it's really getting bad and it's going to get worse. But, you know, when you're in a grocery or a department store and you see the workers coming in there and they're putting up the Christmas Christmas decorations, right? They're getting all the the trees out and all the holiday displays. There's one thing that you know for sure. When they're getting the Christmas decorations out, Thanksgiving's on the way, (laughs) right? (laughs) And when you and I see these signs of judgment, it's one thing we can know, man. The rapture of the church is that much sooner. It's that much sooner. I want to read this to you, close with this. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1 through 11. It says, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. Therefore, and here's the, here's the lesson for you, therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober." For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should uh, live together with him. Therefore, Comfort each other and edify one another, just as you are also doing. And hopefully that's what I'm doing this morning. I'm, I'm comforting you that Jesus Christ is returning. Yeah, things are getting bad, but the, he's coming back for his bride, for the church. And so for you and I, man, let's be sober. Let's be alert. Let's be watchful. And, you know, right now we are that the Holy Spirit's working through you and I working. I, I went to work the other, other night. I have a, a spare job that I do in, in the evenings. And I uh, walked in there and this, this lady, she's, she, she's been there a few nights working late. And uh, one time we had some kind of a, I came in, I'm supposed to wear clean. I'm a janitor. So I'm supposed to wear clean janitor clothes, whatever, you know, I'm going to get dirty anyways, but you know, I'm supposed to be in this kind of a uniform. And, and I had been working at the church uh, in fact, we were laying tile, so I and I, I was running out of time, so I, I came and I, I mean I was filthy and uh, just torn up jeans. I walk in there and there she is. I'm thinking, good, nobody's going to be there. And I get there, oh, she's there. I'm like, oh boy. So I, I said, hey, uh, uh, you know, I'm I, I'm supposed to be dressed up nice, but I just came from my other job. She goes, what do you what do you what other job? And I says, well, I'm a pastor of a church and and we're doing a renovation and all that. And she was like, oh really? And so ever since then. It's been kind of interesting. She's kind of 
responded to me differently. Well, the other night I, I went in there and there she was again. And, and she goes, I got a question to ask you. And, and uh, I thought, oh, oh, what's going on now? And she goes, this is going to be a doozy. <laughs> I'm like, oh man. She goes, uh, how can you tell whether something is God's will or you're trying to be stubborn? And it was just like, that's awesome. I got to spend some time just ministering to her and talking to her. She's going through something in her life, and she's at a crossroads trying to make a decision. She goes, I knew you were a pastor, so I wanted to ask you. So it's a cool thing. But you know what? The Lord can use you and I in this generation right now. And I've, I've heard stories from many of you guys, either in the workplace or in your family or situations where you've been able to, to minister. And so Jesus Christ is returning soon. We only have a little window to do those things. Let's be about the Lord's business. Amen.